0: This week's episode is brought to you by FOCO USA. FOCO is the official face covering of the Iowa Hawkeyes. And if you've been watching Iowa football at all this year, you've seen the new Hawkeye face coverings and neck gaiters that the players and coaches have been wearing. And FOCO was even nice enough to send some out to myself and Thad. And they look great. And they're definitely the most high quality face mask that I've had since this whole thing started. And if you wanted to grab one for yourself, Feel free to head over to foco.com and even tell them that the All Eyes crew sent you. What's up, all of you beautiful people, and welcome back to the All Eyes Podcast. And Thad and I are once again back to talk about another blowout Iowa win. This time the final was 41-21 against Penn State. And it was apparently good enough to launch Iowa into being ranked 24th in college football this week. So there's a lot of good stuff to talk about. And honestly, with the way things played out, I think it's safe to say that once again, we pretty much nailed our preview of this matchup and how things were about ready to play out. And um, with that said, you know, what were some of your main takeaways from this one?
1: I just continue to be really impressed by the offensive line and the way Iowa was able to run the ball right now. Uh, that Penn State team, yeah, they're 0 5 now. They've struggled, but one thing they've done pretty well is defend against the run. Uh, Their front four, especially at D end, uh, they're really good. And Iowa just took it to them all game. You know, from the start, uh, we're able to break off multiple 10 plus gains. Uh, used a combination of they used some wildcat. A lot of reverse pivot from Petrus to get the linebackers and safeties flowing, you know, one step, and just were really dominant in the middle and the interior line has just been so impressive.
0: Yeah, and you know, there's a couple of things there that I think we're touch on and expand on. But for one, you know, this was the first game where the line, you know, had some issues, but it was mostly in the in pass protection, you know. But like you said, they dominated again in the ground game. They were opening up massive holes. I know that the yards per carry average doesn't look great, but that's because of, you know, some sacks and, uh, the stupid way that college football includes sacks as being negative rushing yards for some reason, never will understand that. But, um, you know, yeah, the running game looked great. Uh, I mean, Monty Pot-a-bomb, you talk about a guy to, to get excited about a fullback and he just gets everybody so excited. I think he's created a new fan base on Twitter and throughout the Iowa community as well. Um, yeah, that left side of the offensive line had some issues, but it was mostly pass protection related. But, I mean, Tyler Linderbaum is a beast. You know, Cole Banwart is a beast. And uh, it's just such a great feeling that that, that offensive line, it, this, the issues from last year are kind of settled. Um, I thought Petrus made a lot of great throws and a lot of throws that he hasn't been really been asked to do um, leading into this game. You know, in the, between the hashes kind of throws, downfield kind of throws that got him in trouble against Northwestern he was actually making in this game so I thought that improvement was kind of nice
1: the timing of those throws just looked to be so much better the ball got out on time it wasn't late and he fit some tight windows you know I think it was after one of the first games we talked about placement on some of those passes and that throw he made to Laporta that was originally ruled a touchdown and then uh, put down at the one I mean that was a great throw to put that Low and away, the spot where it's either a completion or an incompletion. Uh, There's no really other play for the defense to make there. And it was plays like that. Uh, He stuck it on Brandon Smith, on Tyrone Tracy, on a couple routes over the middle. And those plays uh, were just plays that they weren't making earlier. And it's places you have to attack Penn State because they are really good on the perimeter. It wasn't going to be a game where Iowa Iowa was going to use a lot of jet motion Uh, in their run game, it wasn't gonna be a game where you did a ton of wide receiver, quick passes. There were a few to Reganey uh, that they took advantage of. And one of them, uh, Amir Smith-Marset with an obvious hold that got pulled back. But there wasn't gonna be a lot of that in a game against Penn State, who has a lot of athletes. So their ability to just be super physical, and you mentioned Pata and just that mentality that he brings to this offense where he is just a bowling ball, just crashing into dudes and making those plays. And with Linderbaum and Banwart and Ince being super physical, Iowa's really found their identity on offense. And so far this year, nobody's been able to match their physicality up front.
0: Yeah. And, you know, this is exactly what Iowa wants to do on offense since we've been, you know, watching this team. They've always talked about establishing the run game and over the past, you know, whether it's five or six years, they just really haven't been able to establish a run game. And now you're seeing that happen and how this offense is taking an identity now because they can establish a run game and, you know, have the passing game as sort of the complement and not the, we're going to throw it 50 times a game. Like it happened in, in the first two games, you know, this offensive line is so dominant and we were talking about during the game, you know, anytime they were at the goal line situations or third and one or, you know, second and one, we just kept saying, you know, fullback lead, Monty Pottabon, follow him, prosper. And every single time it felt like it worked. I don't think that there was one time where Monty Pottabon got blown up by a linebacker or just completely whiffed on a play and, you know, gave up a, you know, missed an assignment. I, it's when you watch that kind of performance, it's, it makes it hard to, you know go to the people who say oh well fullback is dying out it just doesn't feel like that when you watch this Iowa offense because it's so successful every time they have him on the field and the
1: line is doing a great job of holding up that front four and he's finding linebackers or he's he's then chipping to create a seal on the front line and he's just helping make this offense move and as you said you know what it's what Iowa wants to do it's what Brian Ferentz wants them to be a former interior offensive lineman prides himself on, we're going to go do the nasty stuff inside. I'm going to be physical. And, uh, you know, the last few years, I, me personally, I've never felt confident in their short yardage. It's like, oh, third and one, like fourth and one. Unless it was a Nate Stanley sneak, I did not feel comfortable about anything else that they did. I, there were times last year, it's like third and three or second and two or three. And I'm like, just sneak it, get the first down, get it over with. But this year, it's the total opposite, whether it's the use of uh, formational advantages with motions, with, with Wildcat, or just their regular offense and their ability to get those yards consistently and their ability to get red zone touchdowns. They're getting to the red zone and scoring touchdowns, not just kicking field goals, because they're able to consistently move the line of scrimmage downfield. And that just opens everything up for the offense. As you said, we saw Petrus make some plays that he hadn't made. Uh, a lot of quarterback waggle, uh, quick passes to whether it was Reganey, Bear, uh, th- and those guys. And just it helped the offense just pick up yardage. You know, it wasn't a huge overall offensive output game, but they did exactly what they needed to the entire time.
0: Yeah. And like you said, it. you know, it, 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 for the first time in a long time, when it's third and manageable, third and four or under, it just feels like Iowa is gonna get it. Or they they're probably go for it on fourth down because they're gonna pick up a decent running, you know, yardage on that on that third and four or whatever. And that's sort of how I feel Wisconsin fans have always felt. You know, it's just like give it to Jonathan Taylor, give it to Melvin Gordon, and then just run it again if they don't get it on that third down. And that's how Iowa fans are starting to feel this year. You know, everything just feels manageable within that short distance. I think what's going to be interesting to see is as the season goes, you know, people are going to be starting to key on on that Iowa run, and tr- they're going to try to find ways to at least chop on these, you know, zone lead plays and, you know, disrupt the timing of Iowa's offensive line in the ground game. So I really do think that there's an opportunity to, you know, throw in some bootlegs, throw in some naked boots and play action for sure and take those shots. And a lot of the deep shots that we've seen so far this year, at least the attempts we've seen, have come off of play action for that exact reason. You know, linebackers are cheating up. Safeties are cheating up. They're trying to fill those alleys because Iowa's offensive line is moving people and hitting their second level targets with pretty much ease. And so the play action game is open for those deep opportunities. And we really haven't seen, you know, a lot of deep completions yet this year at all. And I'm wondering when that can be, because there's, like you said, you know, there's so many weapons in this offense. And like we've been talking about, every single week on this podcast, there's so many, so much talent at receiver that eventually that's going to have to hit.
1: We had another near miss uh, this week against Penn State to Amir Smith-Marset. Uh, again, just a near miss, slightly overthrown. Um, Let him a little bit too much upfield when the route was, was crossing the field a little bit more initially. But you saw, as you said, linebackers' safety start to cheat up. Uh, Penn State a couple times brought a corner from the boundary, you know, those aren't, those weren't like trying to get blitzes for quarterback issues. That was to help in their run game. And as as I was able to just keep moving guys, they were running effectively on eight man, occasionally nine man boxes. And if you can do that, it just opens up the entire playbook. As you said, the deep shots, or you're going to be able to pick up some of those things over the middle because the linebackers are up and the safeties are having to help out in the run game. So you do have more, operational room in the middle of the field. So looking forward to their games coming up, that's going to be the challenge for those defenses. Do you sell out to stop the Iowa run game and then open things up for Petrus, or do you do what he's kind of struggled with some of the things that Northwestern was able to do, which was to drop seven, eight guys at different times and just close those passing lanes. But I don't see anybody with the flexibility that Northwestern had because their linebackers were so good. We, we saw that this week in their game against Wisconsin is that core of linebackers is so effective at just jamming up both your run game and any of that operational pass game in the middle. So looking ahead at like Nebraska, what are they going to do as a team that struggled to stop the run already? You're going to have to sell out or Iowa is just going to run the ball you know 50 times.
0: Yeah and you know what's interesting is the throws the type of throws that are there when those safeties and those linebackers are cheating up are going to be the over the top kind of throws that require touch. You know, and there's no secret that Pechers has struggled with touch so far this season and he just and all those kind of touch throws down the field 15 plus yards, it really does look like he really struggles with those throws. You know, he can't throw it on a straight line every single time because there's going there's going to be guys cheating underneath there's going to be linebackers buzzing underneath on the tight ends and hook routes. And we saw it a couple times where on some of those touch throws, they almost got picked off against Penn state. Luckily, you know, bad drops and bad defensive plays led to those being just incompletions. But once you play Wisconsin and, you know, with a cross divisional game, if Iowa gets there, you know, or a bowl game, if Iowa gets to play in a bowl game, those kind of opponents are going to take advantage of, essentially layup picks, you know, it, eventually you start, you got to start hitting those throws you your Spencer Petras. And I think that's the next step of his evolution that everybody's sort of holding their breath on and, you know, crossing their fingers.
1: The, the positives we saw were some of those routes he's hitting a little more frequently, but he's not putting it in a spot where guys can make big yardage after the play. Uh, I think there was twice with, Amir once near the goal line, which I I don't think he missed by much, but maybe if it's just thrown slightly further inside, he's able to catch it, get upfield. There's another one where he kind of had to stop in the middle of the field. uh, And he's so fast, he was able to get outside to the corner and get out of bounds in their two-minute drill. And then on a waggle play, hits Bayer for what could have been probably even bigger gain. He still picked up 10, 12 yards. But some of those touch throws – or those placement throws where you've got to put it on the, the right spot, the the correct hip, he's still struggling with those. So as they bring those guys up, you know, does he hit those? And is he able to hit those with any frequency? The thing I see, at least that's a positive, is if teams are going to bring that pressure and bring that blitz, the throws where he can see the blitz, hit his back foot, and make the throw are when he's most accurate. It's when he's scanning, finding a new spot, that he has struggled. And that's, that's where defense has to decide, you know, are they going to disguise it or are they just going to come straight at him?
0: Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I, I think that, you know, I would love to say that I know how to develop touch in a quarterback, or if it's just an easy mechanical flaw, like fixing, you know, your feet or flexing an arm angle, but it's really not. It's just about, that coming the ball coming out of a guy's hand and you can see it when a guy is able to make those kinds of throws and when he's not granted we're five games into his career. So I, I don't think that we really know what he is as a passer yet because a lot of these throws, especially after the first two weeks have sort of been just, you know, very safe. Uh, we're not going to, you know, leave the ball up to chance kind of throws. We're going to be designing your first your progression or your, your check down and it's going to be there and you're going to throw it and don't throw it behind a receiver. Don't throw it under a receiver and just don't get into the lane of, you know, possibly being picked. Um, But moving forward, you know, by the end of the year, if we don't see some development in that area, I think that the discussion is there to, you know, really evaluate the quarterback position moving into next year. But at this point, I think the people that are saying, you know, Petrus is the only thing holding back this offense or holding back this team, and we need to see something else, are just kind of in a, um, a weird headspace.
1: It's an offense that you say, okay, if you have a great quarterback, you know, what is, the, what is the limit? What is the ceiling on it? And there really isn't if you have a great quarterback. But from now to the end of the season, that's probably not something you can change. You're already limited with the amount of time you have in a normal season. And now this season, it just amplifies that and a quarterback who hasn't had a lot of reps, the guys behind him get in even fewer. I mean, I'm just not sure how much people realize how little reps a second string or third string quarterback get during the course of a week. And you can say, well, you have to be ready, but it's just not realistic, especially when you've you've had two short weeks. This will be Friday game number two for, for the Hawkeyes. So when you condense your practice week by one, one day, that just amplifies everything. So I'm with you that we're kind of in that holding pattern. I feel like with Petrus of, we don't know, is this him for good or is it something we can see some changes? You hear everything from the coaches as this is the guy we trust. This is the guy we believe in. Um, Brian and Kirk have both said, look, he missed a lot of time with, with everything from the spring, the summer, this fall. So, we trust him to do some things. And one thing we were uh, messaging back and forth during the game saying is the staff is really saying, okay, here's the throws you, you make and make well. We're going to just do a lot of that. We haven't seen, we haven't had any of the running back screens the last two games, p- passes, which were maybe even there, they're open, but he was struggling with. So they've just axed that completely at this point and opted for different throws. Uh, the wide receiver quick throw, especially to the left. Near the goal line, he tried to throw one to Reganey to the right and sailed it. But to the left side, he feels pretty comfortable. So that's something you can build into your offense, whether it's that play, the waggles, um, that skinny post after a play action. Stick to the things he does well, and then rely on the run game.
0: Yeah, and the throws that he does well are the plant and rip kind of throws, where you know it's a three step drop, you plant off your back foot, and you're basically getting it out right then and there. And those are going to be, like you said, the little skinny posts. Um, the outs to the boundary, things that, you know, the one progression is there. And it's just kind of a leverage kind of throw. It's not going to be the throws where guys are streaking down the sideline and you're putting it either on the back shoulder or making the read on the safety, you know, with those option kind of routes. You're going to have to design throws that are just ability to put it on a guy's face after you take a step, you know, a drop back. Or you can run play action, which is what they've been doing, and just say, throw it as long as you can because the safety's probably going to bite. And we have the athletes at the receiver that are good enough to, you know, stack DBs pretty easily. And, you know, a guy like Brandon Smith is physical and fast. Amir is fast and a good route runner. And those are the kind of guys that you're going to see on those deep shots. Um, And you really don't see a lot of, you know, a lot of smash from Iowa. Um, You don't see a lot of deep corners where it's a kind of a basket kind of throw. And you, you know, it's like the throws that the Patrick Mahomes is of the world kind of make, or the Tom Brady's make, you just don't see those kind of throws. And you talked about the um, running back screens. Like you said, yeah, it's been pretty much axed because those throws were getting a little bit dangerous where he was floating it over the head of the running back. And a lot of the time, that's going to be either hitting a lineman in the back or it's going to be hitting a defensive lineman right in the chest. So I I understand axing that too. Um, But again, like you said, the guys behind him, Alex Padilla and Deuce Hogan have even less snaps. And what people are basing it on to replace uh, Spencer Petras with th- one of those two are huddle highlights. I mean, it's little—it's huddle highlights because Deuce Hogan completed 52% of his passes last year in his senior year of high school. Now they just want to throw him in, into the Big Ten play mid-season uh, in his first year at Iowa during a pandemic, which is <laughs> just an added factor with everything that's going on. And then what we've seen from Padilla even in garbage time situations. There's really no throws that he's made that are like that. That's a guy that needs to be out there.
1: And you're just getting a lot of the other things from Petrus right now that that are good. He's getting him to the line. Uh, the last two games, the the camera, the game broadcast has caught them in the middle of getting to the line of scrimmage, and he kills a play, and gets him into something that's, say, okay, here we're going to get three to four yards. So, and we've we've watched some of those quick throws to the receivers that that are kind of a read for him. The line is firing off like a run. The running backs are firing off and he has that bubble action. So he's starting to make some of those decisions and that's what you need from him right now. You know, at this point of the season, you're not going to change a lot. Like you can't change mechanics. You can't change any of that stuff. It just doesn't work in the middle of the season, but what you can do is refine the things that work, get better with game management, which he's been good. They're not burning timeouts. You know, they, they aren't putting everything on his plate, but he's, he probably gets to the line of scrimmage. He has some options on things. They've given him some of that. We see that with those kills. And let him guide this offense. The output from the offense has been really good the last few weeks. And you look back to that Purdue game when they scored 20, and they really left 14 to 17 points on the board as well with turnovers and penalties. So offensively, yeah, there's some things that we would all like to see Uh, be better. But at the same time, uh, this isn't a team where you're saying, man, this offense is, is really bad. And that's, what's keeping them out of whatever potential they have.
0: Yeah. And I think, like you said, you know, the, the two losses on the year, it it felt like Iowa's offense was dominating those games. Um, It was just unfortunate penalties. It was two fumbles in the first game on top of penalties. And then it was turnovers with with the interceptions against Northwestern, but drive per drive on a, on a snap or snap kind of basis. I was offensive line dominated in those games. The running game was good. Um, I thought that aside from the picks, there were throws that Petrus made that made you go, you know, this guy's putting us in a position to win. And it was just kind of unfortunate how those games unfolded, you know, also in the Northwestern game, you know, they were knocking on the door for a third straight touchdown to go up 21. and instead had to do a field goal because Petrus just barely missed fire in the end zone on a wide open, you know, leak out play. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that the offense, I don't think Spencer Petrus is holding back the offense comparatively to what anybody else in the roster would be doing right now in the same kind of position. Um, and I think these are the kind of growing pains that you have to kind of live with with a, a first-year starter at the helm.
1: Totally fair with all of that. And now and we say the coaches and the players want to win. And if the coaches thought somebody else gave them a better chance or even were, was close to giving them a better chance, we would see that person. So this idea of, you know, oh, they're not playing somebody because he's entrenched or this or that, it, those things simply aren't true. Uh, yeah, Petrus has some things that they could be better with right now, but the other guys probably don't give them a better chance. So stick with what, what you have. You're on a three-game win streak. You're putting up points. You've got a, a rivalry trophy game this week. Um, go out there and do what you do.
0: Yeah. And I think this is a good time that we could transfer to our uh, transition to the defense and talking about that side of the ball. Because outside of a couple throws, once Clifford got into the game and threw two straight touchdown passes on two throws, um, the defense played pretty good. Um, there were some critiques that you can bring up. But overall, when you play that well, you kind of overlook the the small flaws throughout the game and, you know, pay attention to the bigger picture. I thought this was one of the, I think this was a career game for Nick Neiman. Um, Not just because of the tackle numbers, which can be a little bit misleading because some of them were down the field and some of them were because he gave up a catch and coverage, but I mean, he was flying to the boundary when guys were catching it. Um, He was stopping them right where they caught the ball at the one yard gain. He was flying to on the, on the edge on run plays. He was filling really well on run plays. I, and he wasn't missing any tackles. I I thought that this was a a career game for him and really has altered my opinion at least over the past two weeks or two, even three weeks that he's just been playing really lights out. Um, Seth Benson has also been playing really well all year long. That continued. Um, I thought Jack Campbell, the way they've been using him as sort of this threat to blitz and a guy that can, again, fly into the backfield. He can fly sideline to sideline. And that's just an added dynamic to this, uh, this Iowa defense. Riley Moss had another good game. Um, Davion Nixon's the, the star of the show right now, though. And what's crazy is when you watch rewatch his performance from Davion Nixon, it, was, it wasn't really anything that he's been doing, you know. Like, it, it's not like this is not one of his dominant games. Uh, you know, he was really just kind of like a fly on the wall doing what exactly what he's supposed to do and not really stealing the show until that pick six um which everybody you know ran with because of how great he's been leading up to this game but i mean his sacks and his tackles for loss a lot of them were just cleanup sacks and they had him really um just kind of almost qb spying in this game quite a bit and he wasn't really pinning his ears back because of the running threat at quarterback
1: he's seeing a lot more attention after those first couple games uh Opposing offensive coordinators are circling him. You know, he's he's the guy that can come in and just ruin your game plan with what he can do. So he's seeing more doubles. He's seeing some chips. He's seeing a lot of different things that teams are trying to go against him. But then he's altering what he's doing. You know, as you said, he's spying or he will eat a double team and just eat and keep working and then disengage and then go chase down a quarterback or a running back. So we're seeing him not play outside of his role which is really impressive because sometimes you can get in that mode of tackles for loss get the sack and now all of a sudden you're losing your fills and losing your responsibility and that puts the rest of the defense in a really poor position so he just kind of hung around did his thing did his thing and then all of a sudden boom makes his flash play and what a play that was I mean that has everybody it, it just highlights the gifts that he has that we've kind of see pieces of, and they all show up in one play. Like his ability to drop back, uh, get his hands on the ball, and then just that speed and athleticism from somebody his size. Uh, just we've, we've watched it in clips and parts, but now all of a sudden it's showcased completely in one play and just what a special play and player he's been.
0: You know, what's funny is last week on the podcast, we kind of joked, <laughs> this is the week that Dave have got Nixon gets a pick six, And look what, look what happened. Um, I think that we're kind of like Nostradamus at this point, but (laughs) yeah, no, Davion Nixon, he's not going to be getting those one-on-ones like he did against Purdue and just lit them up. You know, you saw it literally the next week against Northwestern, the pass pass protection literally shifted his direction nearly every single snap in that game. He still made it work with some pretty big plays in that game. Also some cleanup sacks, which, I don't think should be looked down upon a cleanup sack as you being able to get separation from an offensive lineman and then hustle to the other side of the line, essentially, and clean everything up that, you know, the other defensive members sort of crashed on the pocket. And I think that's what we've been seeing this week. You know, Dane Belton got a sack. Um, Chauncey Golston was in the backfield quite a bit. Zach Zach Van Valkenberg was in the backfield quite a bit. And then Jack Heflin is in the backfield again. So there's been a lot of beneficiaries to the production and just the overall, like, physically imposingness, I guess, of Davion Nixon so far this year. And it really showed up in this game, I thought, because he is attracting attention. He's getting doubled nearly every single snap. And I was defensive, you know, play calling understands that. And that's why they're sending blitzes through the A gap. They're basically saying, make a decision. You know, do you want to pick the guy who's running full speed right through the A gap and block him? Or do you want to leave, uh, or do you want to double Davion Nixon and not allow him to just bowl through your guard? Those are the decisions that offenses are sort of being forced to make. And that's really great for Iowa's defense.
1: On a couple of those sacks, as you said, the staff knows what they're going to do. So a couple times, I know at least one was out of Raider. And what they did is they just, they knew they were going to shift to his side. So the the defensive line all kind of rotated that way and the entire offensive line follows him. The one time Jack Campbell came from the, you know, offense's right side. He was in the A gap on the right side of the offense. And as everybody shifted, he looped all the way around the left tackle and closed in for, for the sack and forced fumble. And on Dane Belton, you know, they're bringing him on the same side because they know, that the guard, the center, are going to shift to Nixon. The uh, right tackle is going to have Golson one-on-one, so it's going to be Belton versus a running back, or you know maybe the left tackle has to help out on something. So they're taking advantage of of the defense having to shift and focus on Nixon. And th- this defense has just been so spectacular this season, uh, creating turnovers. I thought the game really flipped on uh, it was. I think three straight possessions for Penn state in the first half. Uh, The first was they have third and two and they try to run an option and they fumble. And then the next time they have third and two, they try to run up the middle. It gets stuffed fourth and one, try to run up the middle. Uh, I believe this time, next time with the quarterback, it gets stuffed next possession, third and two run it stuffed fourth down. They try to throw like a back shoulder, to Dotson against Moss, and it has no chance. It's thrown out of bounds. So Penn State was like, look, we've got no chance to run the ball up the middle right now um, against this team. And it just totally changed the, the game because those were all right around midfield, some slightly in Iowa territory. So those kill points for Penn State and put Iowa in prime position.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that's been starting to bug me, just on listening to the, the live broadcasts on, on TV every single week, this narrative that I was not a blitzing team anymore, this needs to die out because they've been blitzing since week one very frequently. But I will say over the past two or three weeks, the blitzes, especially when Jack Campbell came back, um, the blitz, the type of blitzes that they're throwing at teams are different than they were in week one. They're not, they're not like these delayed green dog kind of blitzes or even just delayed blitzes um, from a higher depth they're starting to come right at the line. And that's, I think, part of the reason is because of, you know, them trying to take pressure off Davion Nixon. Because if you're a defensive coordinator, of course you want to try to scheme and manufacture ways that Davion Nixon can get his one-on-ones every once in a while. Because if he does get a one-on-one, it's going to be a good chance that he's going to be able to exploit it, you know. And that's why I think Jack Campbell coming back has been huge. Uh, I think Nick Neiman has been a big factor in that, as well as just being a threat up the middle or even in the B-gaps. And the fact that Jack Heflin is playing so lights out, you know, it just aids to that as well. And I think what has been also another a key addition that we've started to see over the past three weeks is Chauncey Golston's lining up at three tech quite a bit now. And uh, yeah, it is on, you know, second longs and longs and third and longs sort of were obvious passing downs. But that key element of him being an inside threat opposite of Davion Nixon just gives this inside unit so much, you know, dynamic ability. And the fact that these linebackers are being able to fly east to west, it, it just adds, you know, the, the layer of protection in case, you know, they decide to run um, a running back screen or something with that kind of alignment.
1: You mentioned what they were doing earlier and it's totally different for a couple of reasons. You mentioned Campbell. The other difference since game one is uh, moving Dane Belton to cash. He's closer to the line of scrimmage. And they've brought him on a couple blitzes. You know, obviously the Penn State one where he forced the fumble. And, but there have been others as well. So it's personnel changes. That first game delayed blitzes from uh, Barrington Wade, from Neiman. I think Hankins came off of a corner. And now you see it more with guys like Belton, guys like Campbell. Campbell had the sack, but on Chauncey's Golston sack, if you haven't already, uh, I wrote on... Blackheart gold pants for the rewatch. There's a clip of Golson's sack, and Jack Campbell comes right up the A gap and absolutely destroys the running back, like puts him flat on his back. And Campbell's just standing at the, over top of the quarterback as Golson's getting off. As if Chauncey didn't get him, he was going to. And you've got guys that are better at blitzing. You mentioned you would like to see Riley Moss. We didn't see it this game, but he made that re- a really big play. The week before and so we're seeing that it's partly personnel based those guys uh maybe are just better at it so sending somebody like Campbell who is with his size kind of a hybrid lineman I mean he's not that much different size than uh Parker Hesse was when he was a sophomore and but he's at linebacker and he's so much more explosive nothing against Hesse who's now you know getting some time in the NFL playing kind of fullback H-back, but it's just a a different level of athlete in those spots
0: yeah this you know I've never seen a unit and in, in, on any team that I can even remember that lost the pieces that Iowa lost last season at the linebacker spot you know in the form of um, Dylan Doyle and Damone Colbert opting out and Christian Welch leaving for a graduation and then getting so much vastly better that is just odd to me and You know, credit Seth Benson, obviously credit Nick Neiman for, you know, I'm filling a different role this year compared to last year and credit the fact that Jack Campbell is everything that one, you hyped him up to be, but a lot of other people hyped him up to be because he is really this piece that not only is he a great, just standard linebacker, but it's everything else that he can do for a defense that makes me so excited about him and love makes me love watching him play and you know moving forward i i this linebacking unit is going to be so fun to watch even for a couple more years now
1: when you mentioned uh the guy who was probably going to come in is their their top rated guy with jamon colbert opts out you know who knows what he does next year if he decides to come back and provide you know whether he's a starter providing depth or if he does something else but you have all these pieces and they're starting to work work them together and uh, Seth Benson's a guy who was an unheralded recruit came in his freshman year and you heard some positive things from the coaching staff but didn't really play um, and then we have really kind of lost sight of him and he didn't play in the first game um, he was injured and, and nobody really thought much about it. And then all of a sudden in that second game that Northwestern game. He showed just oh yeah this is a guy that they could use and he all three of those guys have been really really good. You know uh, Justin Jacobs, who who played earlier, isn't getting very many snaps. But right now, it's it's hard to find. You know, there's no need to take the other guys out the way they're playing and the way they're able to kind of rotate them around. And the growth that we're seeing that from that position from game number one till now has been astronomical.
0: Absolutely agree. And when you have a front performing like Iowa's front combined with that good linebacker play, it gives you some optimism that this Iowa defense is going to be able to stand up against, you know, some of the better teams, obviously, um, you know, they're not playing Ohio state again this year, like they were initially scheduled to, but against a team like Wisconsin who had a setback this week, that's still going to be a test for the interior offense or your interior defensive line for Iowa and also the linebacking core. And it just feels like the, for the first time in a long time, that this unit, especially that, you know, the front six or front seven or whatever you want to call it, the linebackers and defensive line, it really does feel like that unit can stand up against the best teams in the Big Ten.
1: When it's kind of like their offensive line, when you're that good in the middle right now, and with Nixon and Heflin, the way they're playing, Iowa's just dominating that initial point of attack. And it's probably the best Iowa has been in the middle for a long time. I mean, you think back to maybe – uh, King and Kroll, but who are two really good players, but Heflin and Nixon with their body type are just completely different players. I mean, they're so much bigger than those two were, and, and Nixon's just athletically well beyond, you know, really anybody else they've had in that position. And they've had some good guys. You know, you look at Jaleel Johnson, you look at Carl Davis, you look at, you know, uh, Mike Daniels, guys that have NFL careers and we're all really good players, but just different different body types than what we see from from Heflin, who's just that big guy who can eat up doubles, and yet is still agile enough to make plays on running backs and the quarterback, and then Nixon, who's just the guy who can do anything. As you mentioned, you know, the beginning of the year, he's a guy you could put at any position along the defensive front, and he'd shine.
0: Yeah, and what's crazy is even the guys that – were overlooked coming in this year. Nobody knew how Zach Van Volkenberg was going to do. And my God, he he's been incredible. I mean, he's a great athlete. You can see it when he bends the edge, you can see it when he's ripping past an offensive tackle and he just really can get after the quarterback at an efficient rate. He's better than, you know, guys of the past that have been starting at defensive end. Um, not AJ Epinesa, obviously, but he is providing an uplift for this defense just because he's the fourth guy. And he's getting constantly one-on-ones, you know, there's never going to be a time where they're going to chip him with a tight end because why waste that kind of mov- movement in the passing game against Iowa's defense? You know, they're going to make their tight ends go out and, into space and try to get a catch. And so he's not getting chipped and he's working on one-on-ones right out the gate. And he's making so many plays uh, week after week. It started with the Minnesota game um, with the three sacks, but a lot of them weren't even the most impressive snaps in those games in that game. And then this past week, he's making a lot of plays as well. And Chauncey Golston, week after week, continues to apply pressure. And finally, he's hitting on some of these sacks over the past two weeks. And so those two working in cohesion with, like you said, Jack Heflin balling out, Davion Nixon being able to do everything. You know, and even Jack Heflin. I was wrong on him a little bit too because I thought he was a true traditional nose tackle who was going to be like a two-gap eating presence. And the truth is, is that he's lining up at three tech a lot. And he has some pass rush juice that I didn't acknowledge at first. He has so much more pass rushing ability than I previously thought he did. And I I feel like this entire defense has overshot my expectations for him. And I was pretty high on a lot of these guys.
1: When you lose as many players and as many good players as they lost, you know, you have the right to be like, you just don't know what they have. I mean, everybody had really high hopes for Nixon. Um, you know, the buzz, there's just been so much buzz around him, but you didn't know if he could do it. And then that first game he comes out and plays like 75 snaps and you're like, all right, this, this is for real. And you don't know Heflin comes in as a pretty touted grad transfer from Northern Illinois, but can he do it at the big 10 level? And golston has been solid for the last few years and Van Valkenberg. Here's a division two transfer that came in and, and played a little bit last year, but we didn't get to see just really how athletic he is. And how solid he is you know he's making the right reads he's maintaining his uh, run His protecting his edge he's getting after the quarterback you know he's making plays he's chasing guys down after the play and we just didn't know what to expect out of that and then on the back end it they've just been really good uh, as you said Moss has continued to have really good games Hankins has been solid and the coaching staff just meant keeps mentioning how much of a leader he's been and Kerner and Merriweather at the safety positions have, have really been good as well. We're not seeing a lot of them. Now, there were some breakdowns on the deep pass play, and there was a miscommunication on their first touchdown pass uh, where it was a little cross action, and they snuck a tight end out. But for the most part, they've been really solid, and Belton's been able to play back in that cash position where he's just better closer to the line of scrimmage and making plays from that slot position. So on on the whole, this defense has just been, you know, really, really impressive all the year. And, you know, Phil Parker, once again, just working his magic.
0: Yeah, and you talked about the back end. And I think that's um, a good transition point for talking about this Nebraska game coming up on uh, Friday. And, you know, Nebraska has been a struggle bus all year. Uh, they looked good in the Penn State game, but I felt like it was a lot of kind of just capitalizing on Penn state at turnovers and Penn state kind of shooting themselves in the foot. But I mean, five turnovers against Illinois. Um, I believe four of them were from Luke McCaffrey who came in and replaced Adrian Martinez. And, you know, poor quarterback play has really been the, the crutch of this Nebraska team all year long. And it continued last Saturday when they got blown out by Illinois, which is crazy to me. Um, And it doesn't really feel like when you watch this Nebraska team that that's going to be resolved anytime soon, Um, whether whoever they throw out Iowa. And I think, again, like last week, we're going to be seeing Adrian Martinez and Luke McCaffrey in this game. Um, You know, Iowa has five straight victories against Nebraska. What are your thoughts sort of heading into this game for Iowa?
1: Well, my first thought every time they play Nebraska is I get a little bit nervous about this game. I live in a part of the state where there are a lot of Nebraska fans, I'm less than 20 minutes from the Iowa Nebraska border. So it's a game that I always get nervous about just because typically Nebraska has been kind of in a free fall and it's their chance to kind of like save their season. And it's been always been the last game and you, you just don't want to have that sour taste in your mouth. But that said, it's one of those games I look at and I'm like, well, I, I don't see what Nebraska can do. To be effective against Iowa unless it's a lot of gimmicky stuff um as you said McCaffrey is his really struggled he has you know five interceptions and four of them are when he's not pressured so it just poor throws poor decisions you know Martinez is a guy that when he's been in there in the past he's a guy that has some fumble issues as well and offensive line play hasn't been great their defense at times I watch him and and they're okay along the front nothing spectacular They they do some things okay i, I think they're a decent tackling team in space but th- they make mistakes on the back end and now iowa hasn't made teams pay for that this year so is this the time when for nebraska all those back-end mistakes aren't going to haunt them uh, i don't know but I, I just don't see how they're going to on defense they don't match up to what iowa wants to do iowa just wants to be physical and Nebraska is not a physical team, um, just not at all. And, and I think back to last year, the comments that Scott Frost talked about with the hoodies and guys wearing that and complaining. But, but I think that's a mixed message with him. And I think it's him being, being soft in the terms of he's so worried about their mentality of this and that. But when they step on the football field, that is just not a disciplined or physical team. And if you're going to play Iowa and not be disciplined or physical, you are going to go home with a loss. And it's why Northwestern won that game, because that was a disciplined and physical team. And their coach gets them to play that way. And Scott Frost does not get Nebraska to play disciplined or physical at all.
0: I absolutely agree. And when you every single year when Iowa plays Nebraska, it feels like there's always a guy that you can point to to say, well, that's a great player. He's going to be able to make some plays, um, whether it's offensively or defensively. That's how I always felt when Iowa was playing a Bo pellini led team or a Mike Riley-led team. But over the last three years, that has completely tapered off. I don't look at this team and think any one player would even be a starter on Iowa. I'm going to be completely honest. I, I, this is such a pathetic-looking team every time they take the field. And I'm sorry to be kind of that brash with it, but I, when do you think – that the discussion begins or gets started on Scott Frost not being the, like, the guy and potentially getting fired because there hasn't been one time during his entire tenure where I feel like this team, Nebraska's program, has even been trending in the right direction. It's always been the narrative that this is their guy, and so that's why it feels like a lot of the optimism comes from. You know, he's getting recruits. Um, he's this fun offensive coordinator kind of guy who led the UCF charge but it never has felt from a tangible being able to see it on film or see them see it in their performances where he looks like a guy who's leading the charge in the right direction, and it's year three. I mean, it's not year two for him. It's not year one. It's year three, and we've seen turnarounds happen really fast at schools like Illinois with Lovey Smith. You know, last year they won seven games after sort of being a dumpster fire two seasons prior. Then you look at Jeff Brom at Purdue, year one, and then that's only that trend has continued over different personnel changes and different coordinators being hired and fired. And then you look at Jim Harbaugh even when he first took over at Michigan, went from five and seven to immediately nine and three, 10 and two. And P.J. Fleck, last year. You know, Minnesota has one of the best years of the program's history, and you see it every single with all those coaches that enter the big Ten you see some cause for optimism with Scott Frost. I have never seen that once.
1: To top it off, look at what Greg Shiano is doing at Rutgers right now and making them competitive. And they've won a few, like they've won. And they were not competitive at all. And when you watch a Nebraska team that when Scott Frost showed up, was the talent level down from their title teams in their heydays? Yeah. But, their recruiting rankings were still at or above Iowa and much of the big 10 West, really probably outside of Wisconsin, that whole stretch run. And it's a team that when you watch, I I just don't get the feeling of, well, what are they? You know, when he first showed up, Martinez had that fantastic freshman year, but now it's okay. We got to try a new quarterback. Okay. It's the quarterback's fault. He's already on another defensive coordinator. Like you're in year three and you're already firing coordinators that means you're reaching for straws. Well, I I don't know what to do. So I'm going to fire this guy and bring somebody else in. You're not getting the job done. That doesn't show me a coach who's like, this is what I am. This is what I believe in. This is who we're going to be and we're going to see it out the right way. But instead it's, it's things like, Oh, our guys are benching this amount or, Hey, we had, we, we did this the other day, but that doesn't translate. And it's a team that in the Polini era made a ton of mental mistakes. And, but they were a physical team. They made stupid penalties, but they were a physical team. And that's totally gone. And, and the talent level, you know, it just isn't what it was. And one of their best players, I think, uh, Mills at running back, they barely use. And he's one guy that I think can be a physical runner and can be an effective player. And he's not getting the ball. You know, they're, they're settling more for the quarterback runs or getting it uh, to Wandale Robinson and, and things like that. and, you know, when you're, your other options, you know, at receiver, they have Warner Oliver Martin's back um, and he's one of their prime targets, but it's not a team that you look and say, okay, you're dangerous at this spot. I'm really worried about this part of your team. And now will that come back to bite them? Because I said some of those things about Northwestern outside of their linebacking core, but we also said, look, that linebacking core is really good and it can cover a lot of mistakes. And you don't see that with Nebraska. Um, now They could pull some things out, but it's not a team that for 60 minutes of a game is going to match the physicality that Iowa is going to bring.
0: Yeah, and you know, when you have uncertainty like Iowa at quarterback with just being able to not fully trust the guy to, you know, not turn the ball over during the course of a game, and it does feel like Petrus could be have one of those games where he could turn the ball over two or three times. And that's always going to be a possibility, I think, throughout the year for every single team that it goes up against because it just takes, you know, two bad, uh, you know, two bad plays. You know, whether, it, you know, he's not feeling it on that play, whether it's a bobbled snap or whether he's just, you know, panicky for whatever reason. Those are going to happen to uh, a guy making his first, you know, run at being the starting quarterback. And of course, that could happen in this game, but that really just feels like the only way. Nebraska stays in this ball game because I'm telling you, it, just based on how these teams have performed over the past three-week span, this feels like Iowa is going to annihilate them. Uh, these teams don't feel like they're on a pl- level playing field at all, and that's weird to say about an Iowa-Nebraska matchup any year.
1: Could you imagine the? I th- read in the an article that some of the receivers at Nebraska this we're saying, well, maybe we didn't run routes as hard as we probably could have or should have in practice. Could you ever imagine those quotes coming out of Iowa City? And, and just the answer is no. Like, and if you're in year three, partway through the season, and you're fighting for your like, season's life, you know they're not winning games right now. And, and are you going to show that fight? And when you're saying, well, we probably didn't run routes as hard as we could have in practice, that shows a lack of focus. It shows a lack of discipline. It shows a lack of leadership, both from the players and the staff. And it's not something that heading into a rivalry game with a team like Iowa that you want to say, because look, Tyler Linderbaum is coming after you. Monte Pottenbaum is coming after you. You know, Nixon, Heflin, that defensive front, those safeties, those linebackers, they're coming. And if you're not going to be an undisciplined or a, not a motivated or focused on the details team, it's just not going to be pretty. So do we see one of those games where Iowa just runs all over them and yeah, kind of maybe they hang around for a little bit, but in the second half, they just blow them out of the water.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I guess let's go into that prediction time. You know, it, the, the spread I believe is minus 13 and a half as of today or as of this morning, at least um, a lot of the betting public is on Iowa. And I think that's for good reason. Um, you know, what are your predictions for how this game plays out?
1: I think we probably see a mistake or two on Iowa's end. Um, I think Nebraska has some trick plays that they, they might go to um, and maybe score a a touchdown or two or or McCaffrey. Maybe he breaks free on something and they get a score on that and they keep the score pretty close. But I think in general, Iowa is going to dominate the line of scrimmage on both sides. And I think they're going to win, you know, I don't think it's going to maybe be a cover. I think Nebraska might get a, a late score or two to kind of make it a little closer, but I don't think it comes down to a field goal this year. I think Iowa wins something, uh, 31 to 22, something in that range, um, but really holds them off for much of the game. And it's just kind of one of those, well, it's just a matter of time before the game's over in Iowa uh, is Victor.
0: Okay. Okay. So you you have Nebraska covering this one. Um, I'm going to say Iowa covers and doesn't come close to not covering. I'm going to say 43 to 17. I don't know why that scores in my head. That could be a score of Gami where it's like the first ever score for this particular matchup, but 43, 17, I don't know how they get to the 43. That's the number that popped in my head. Um, I do think Iowa explodes in the running game this week. I'm thinking 300 yards rushing. Let's do it. Tyler Goodson in 210 yards and then, Makai Sargent, 100, and then minus 10 for Spencer Peters. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, th- that's how I see it playing out. <laughs> we've,
1: but we've watched that before. We've watched it where Iowa just explodes. And I think back to Jordan Kanzeri breaking a few big runs to start the second half in a game in Lincoln and other games where Iowa just wears them down and runs on them. And I could totally see that happening. Maybe I'm emotionally hedging just knowing that this is a game that makes me nervous. <laughs> I would say this, I could see, see something like that happening way more frequently than a lot of other alternatives. You know, I would not be surprised if Iowa jumps out on them and some of the Nebraska kind of rolls over on it. Now, if they hang around, you know, give them some juice, maybe they stick around or like I said, make a late score on, on something. But I just don't see this being as a team that matches up against Iowa, you know, in Iowa's losses, it's been, you know, mistakes and uh, credit Northwestern for being a disciplined team and making some big third downs and scoring just enough and hanging around. But that's not the DNA of this Nebraska team.
0: Yeah. When you look at Nebraska, I just don't, I just don't see any kind of foreseeable edge that they can find in this game whatsoever, whether it's on offense or defense, it's going to have to be, like you said, the gimmicky kind of plays or end arounds or just kind of, I I guess one area, if I'm going to, I'm going to try to be a little bit nice Nebraska because I feel like I've been shitting on them all episode long, but I guess one area I could see them taking advantage of is just running the ball at Matt Hankins and guys like that on the edge and then forcing them to try to make tackles in space because we've seen over the past entire season, I guess, that Matt Hankins just has struggled to make tackles in space. Um, he's sort of, I'm going to try to hold on for dear life kind of guy in your ankles and then wait for the swarm happen. Um, if they throw in some misdirection and they run that direction, maybe they can pick up a couple of big plays like that. And, you know, we saw it last week when Sean Clifford came into the game. Sometimes the back end can get a little bit, you know, caught cheating up. So maybe they take a deep shot and Luke McCaffrey does have a decent enough arm to push it down the field like that.
1: Yeah, that's one area, you know, I think their best option might be sort of what we saw from Penn State early, where it's a lot of quarterback run. But let's be honest, it's not realistic to expect your quarterback to run it 25, 30 times. And early in that game, when Penn State was doing that, you know, it's kind of nervous, okay, they're not adjusting. But at some point, Iowa is going to adjust, they don't, they weren't worried about a deep threat. And when a quarterback keeps taking hits, I think that was part of the reason why Levis had a bad pitch. And they fumbled on a third down option is, look, you're tired and you're getting hit every play. And does Nebraska just platoon two quarterbacks and say, we're going to run these two guys 20 times? That might be their best chance, but it's also not really realistic to expect two guys to carry that load. Um, And while, you know, Martinez is a pretty well built and thick runner, you know, McCaffrey isn't. And he's a little shiftier, but you don't want to expect those guys to run into the teeth of this defense or let those linebackers or safeties tee off on you when you're just constantly running the ball. And that's not a recipe for success against this Iowa team either, but maybe that's their best chance. But just like Penn State, you get impatient. Like You just don't want to run your quarterback that often. It puts them in a bad spot. So I don't see them really going to that, maybe early, but you can't sustain that for four quarters.
0: Yeah, and I think it's weird how people talk about the quarterback run game in, in regards to especially how Penn State utilized their quarterbacks last week. Nobody talks about the adverse effects of constantly running QB power into a defensive tackle or into a, a linebacker coming five yards away from the line of scrimmage and just crashing onto a, a quarterback at the, like a, you know, for a first down. Even if it's successful early on, those, are, those hits are going to add up and it's cold, starting to get in cold weather games like you are going to have stingers if you're a quarterback because you just get hit with a helmet to the elbow or, or a helmet to the ankle or things like that. And eventually that's going to affect you as a passer. And if Nebraska does fall down by, you know, two touchdowns or 10 points, like we assume that it's probably going to end up, you know, taking place against Iowa, you're going to need the ability to just, you know, take a three-step drop or five-step drop and then throw the ball and not rely on gimmicks. Eventually, you're going to have to make throws in this game if it's going to be close. So, though, that, those the fact that, like, Penn State ran the ball with Will Levis a lot and just ran it right into the deep of Iowa's defense, trying to pick up some three, four-yard gains at a time. Yeah, that might work when he's fresh and he's, you know, in the first half. But in the second half, when you need that ability to throw the ball, that's the reason we saw Sean Clifford coming in the game and immediately start winging it and you just saw some life in that Penn state team. I wonder if that's sort of the direction Nebraska is going to take in this game as well, where the first guy, whether it's Adrian Martinez or Luke McCaffrey is going to pick up, you know, quite a bit of yards running the ball. And then the second half after he can't show that he can throw the ball, he's bringing the other guy who's a lot fresher and they try to attack Iowa that way.
1: Yeah. And ho- hopefully for Iowa, it's kind of like last time you got a 20 plus point lead. Yeah. You give up a player too, but get the ball back to your offense, make a play, finish it out and carry another trophy, you know, to, well, I guess not home cause it's already there, uh, but put it back in the, in the trophy case <laughs> like the others and, and move on.
0: Yeah. And I guess with that said, um, you know, we're going to head out, but um, is there anything that you want to plug or any content you have coming um, that you want people to know about?
1: If you haven't checked out the rewatch on Blackheart Gold Pants, go ahead and check that out from the Penn State game. We'll have another one up uh, following this Nebraska game. Uh, and just check out all the great content right, at, right now on Blackheart Gold Pants. There's a lot of really good stuff on there. So whether it's uh, football that we're into right now or if you're into basketball, check that stuff out. And hope everybody has a really happy Thanksgiving. Uh, and if you have some time, Uh, at home check those things out there's just a lot of really good stuff out there about the Hawkeyes
0: yeah Iowa football's playing well Iowa basketball's back they're in the top five potential player of the year in Luka Garza everything's just really fun right now if you're an Iowa sports fan Um, and like you know Thad said happy Thanksgiving everybody Um, you can follow me at RobDFB on Twitter and you can follow Thad at TNels20 on Twitter Um, but with that said we'll keep churning these out if you guys continue to show some love and you guys have been doing a great job of that. So uh, thank you from both of us and we will see you in a future podcast. Take it easy.